0: Hello and welcome to PFF fantasy football podcast i 'm your host Ian Harditz and happy Tuesday as you 're listening to this recording on a Monday waiver wire edition. Now last week when we did this podcast there was a little bit of a blend between waiver and also still some week one takeaways. This week, Dwayne and I already knocked out all of our Week 2 takeaways. You can catch that on our Game by Game review pod there on Monday. But now we are going full in on the waiver wires. So, Dwayne, good to have you on again, man. This is our, I don't know how many podcasts we do a week, but we do a lot of them. And, you
1: know, here we are. Lots to talk about, Ian. Lots to talk about. So, you you need help. You need... (laughs) You know, you got to take it easy on those vocal cords.
0: <laughs> that is true, man. But hey, having you here does help with that. And also, people, if the voice ever does hurt, a little bit of honey goes a long way. You can throw it in some tea or just freaking, you know, throw it down your throat like a savage. So anyway, people, on to the waiver wire. Goodness, uh, players we're going to talk about are rostered and about 50% of Yahoo or Fantrax leagues. You know, if it was a little bit over, I still talked about it. I still wrote them down as a possible guy. But just keep that in mind. Not trying to give you any... Uh, you know tidbits on guys that are already taken in every single league so we're gonna start things off with the quarterback position and the way we're gonna do it today is have a quarterback focus and then we'll go through the top streamer picks and Dwayne I don't think this is gonna be a surprise to many but Justin Fields is the quarterback to try to get on your rosters we saw him put up 10 carries 31 rushing yards no scores but obviously look pretty you know look like the athlete that the Bears took 10th or 11th overall whatever it was to hopefully be their quarterback. Back of the future obviously that's not set in stone just yet Andy Dalton with this knee issue not believed to be super serious and for whatever freaking reason in hell Matt Nagy and company have already come out and saying Dalton is still their starter as long as he is healthy so Dwayne we got Cleveland this week which is not the best matchup but man if we can just get Fields under center soon we got the Lions and the to be fair, improved Raiders coming up. Either way, man, the reason why I think we want to have Fields on roster is because with this sort of rushing skill set, he's going to be matchup proof more or less.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, he handled uh, 21% of the designed rushing plays for the team yesterday, and you know he didn't even play the whole game and he scrambled on another 21% of his dropbacks. So, I mean, you're getting exactly what you just talked about. You're and that's all you really care about, like to be honest, with Fields. Anything he does beyond that as far as a passer is all icing on the cake. You know, we've talked about this before with players like um, Jalen Hurts and other guys like that. Fields falls into that same bucket. Um, if he's available, you make you want to make sure you, especially if you're hurting, like say maybe you waited on a quarterback and you have Tua and somebody else that you were just kind of, you know, mashing together any game that field starts I'm going to prefer him over probably every other quarterback 2 that we can name
0: One, you know, cause for concern with Fields is, you know, the one issue coming out of Ohio State was kind of the clock in his head. He just had such a long average time to release. As we see in the NFL, usually dual threat types like Fields are the guys up there, but that does seem to still be an issue of sorts at the NFL level. Right now, among, let's see how many quarterbacks do we have with this, 35 quarterbacks with 10 dropbacks this year, Fields does have the single longest average time to throw at 3.22 seconds. So, I guess that would be the only concern for Nagy getting him out there sooner rather than later. But you said it, once he is out there, passing is just icing on the cake. It's like Jalen Hurts, basically, man. It's just hard for someone to bust if they're getting 10-plus rush attempts a week. And to be fair to Fields, man, he put a dime touchdown into Allen Robinson's lap last game. Unfortunately, couldn't come down with it. And I thought he even had a better throw to Darnell Mooney deep, who unfortunately dropped it as well. So Justin Fields, yes, go get him, particularly if that quarterback room of yours isn't looking too hot at the moment. Now, Dwayne, I went ahead and I pulled, in my opinion, the top four streamers this week in terms of, again, 50% or less ownership and then trying to play the matchups with some good QBs. First up, we got Derek Carr facing the Dolphins. Now, just quickly, Gruden did call Carr questionable. This was like a lower body issue he had during the game. He came back and played, and Gruden already said that he anticipates Carr playing this week, so... Gruden called him questionable. I think we can all agree he's more like probable. Just keep that in mind. Also have Teddy Bridgewater versus the Jets, Daniel Jones versus the Falcons, and Sam Donald versus the Texans. Dwayne, how would you rank these streamer options if you're a team that just needs to find your starting QB this week on the waiver wire?
1: Yeah, I you know, we have to watch and see what Gruden says. But um, yeah, Carr by far is the number one, just because of what he's done, yeah. you know, over the last however many games. Um at this point, it's just like, okay, he's playing better than he ever has. And I think there's a sample size that's big enough that we just got to roll with it. So I would I would take him easily at the top. Um, then I would take Daniel Jones versus Atlanta just because of the rushing um, floor that we've seen with Jones um, this season. Then I would put Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold in a bucket together, you know, and you guys can, you can coin flip so that you don't blame me whenever you lose this weekend. Um, But I I would personally lean to Darnold, but it's really close. I mean, the the Broncos have um, their time of possessions. Number one in the league, they've held the ball for over 62% (laughs) of plays. Um, So they've also played some really bad teams and they're going to play another bad team. So the Broncos probably will hold the ball plenty again this next weekend. So um, Bridgewater is in a nice spot from that perspective
0: few notes on these guys. You said it with Derek Carr. He's been a QB one for his last six games. QB 12, QB 10, QB 6, QB 1, QB 9, and most recently QB 7 finishes in his last six fully healthy starts. Dude is absolutely balling out. And I invite those listening out there to check out Mike Renner's article on pff.com where he talks about the influence that the Chiefs offense has had on the Raiders. He's very clear not to explicitly compare Carr to Mahomes. No one's doing that, but we can give this guy credit and Gruden and the entire Raiders offense for what they've been able to do, particularly to start this season again. Hence, two very good defenses. With uh, Teddy, I was surprised to see, Dwayne, like this is why I love going back and watching these games because it leads you to ask, you know, different questions like this. But Teddy Bridgewater is fifth in average target depth this year. So we can take those Teddy check down, you know, slander nicknames over the years. Get them out of here. This dude is chucking the rock downfield, has turned in QB 17 and QB 10 performances. You know, the Jets have played a little better. They haven't faced a deep ball-minded passer yet. But ultimately, I think I'm with you going Cardinal number one Daniel Jones number two after that Donald Bridgewater was a little more of a toss up to me but I don't disagree uh, with what you're saying I do think Houston is probably a softer matchup for the Jets I guess with Daniel Jones Dwayne like PFF are passing grades which don't always you know directly correlate to fantasy production but damn six best quarterbacks so far through two weeks he's turned in QB 12 and QB 4 performances despite the clapper despite this offensive line Daniel Jones is playing some good football man
1: well, yeah, and he's had some misplays too. That could he yep. could be even higher. Like you know, um, I can't remember. I think it was Slayton yes, that dropped was. the ball on Thursday night. I mean that, that was a touchdown. I mean it was would have been a, a nice catch, but it's a catch that you would like to see Slayton make. So yeah, um, you know I'm not like super bullish on Daniel Jones long term, but I think he's at least left the door open to say okay the conversation is still here to be had. But in fantasy land, um, yeah, I just when you're getting that type of rushing. And you're going to, you know, we don't expect 90 yards, right? <laughs> Every week. But I mean, if he's just going to give you 30, even if it just gives you 30 yards rushing, you know, and he gives you a chance for a rushing touchdown on top of everything else, just kind of like what we talked about with fields um, to a lesser extent. Um, he's a player that's just going to make it hard for him to not finish in the top 12 um, each week when he's doing that.
0: Yeah, and for Jones, he did have this brief stretch last year. I'm looking at his fantasy finishes right now. Pretty handy page on PFF.com if you guys want to go to it. It just lists, you know, their fantasy finish on as the uh, row, and it's got the weeks in the uh, column. So with that in mind, man, he had a stretch where he was QB 11, QB 15. QB 25 dud, but then QB 7. We all talked about how Kyler's shoulder injury really limited his rushing upside last year. The same thing happened to Daniel Jones with a hamstring injury. So as long as Jones is healthy, we do get a lot more rushing upside than most people I think would expect from the artist known as Danny Dimes. So again, people, guy you want to have on your roster is Justin Fields in terms of streamer land, Derek Carr, number one, Daniel Jones, number two. I'll give Dwayne the nod and go Sam Darnold number three, and Teddy Bridgewater, number four. Moving right along to running back, what we're going to do here is go through the big five running backs I've seen most, of, you know, basically touted across the industry the most and just see, hey, is it worth to go out and get these guys or not? So starting things off, we got James White. We knew losing Cam Newton was a positive with not having a scrambling guy under center. And we also knew that potentially getting this to be a two back backfield could help both James White and Damian Harris. Dwayne, I mean, if we're in full PPR scoring, man, I think we're looking at yet another year where James White just continues to outperform the consensus rank. He's turned in RB25 and RB8 finishes in full PPR. This is before Monday Night Football. Maybe Swift and Jamal and Jones all go nuts again. But either way, the guy seems like he's a lock for five-plus receptions a game. Are you interested in White, or is there still just not enough upside yeah, for you to really go absolutely. for absolutely. Let's go. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Cam Newton was the only reason we ever weren't in, in you know, interested in in james white and that was really it yeah. um you know he's 10 he's he's the number 10 running back right now in ppr formats period <laughs> so i mean he's 25 and 8 and he's 10th now again that's before tonight but still i mean at worst case he's going to be 13th after tonight's over um so yeah i mean james white should not be on the wire 20 percent of the target so far this year um he's getting targeted 36 percent of the time that he's in a route Um, He owns 92% of the Patriots long down and distance and 100% of their two-minute offense. So he is locked in as they're passing down back, and they just don't have an an alpha – You know, receiver or tight end, dominating you know looks in the passing game. So I mean, he continues to honestly be the most targeted Patriot out there. Like he's being targeted more than um, you know even some of the receivers. He's being targeted more than both of both of the tight ends. So yeah, I like James White. I think he's a top twenty four RB the rest of the way. I mean, worst case, he's an RB three. in PPR formats, is yep. he going to give you those huge weeks, folks, where he's just going to win your league for you? No. But he's just not, he's not going to give you the duds that we had to deal with when they had Cam Newton.
0: Not going to score a rushing touchdown too often like he did last week, but back to back games with six receptions, that could legit be close to his floor as a receiver, which, as Dwayne said, that's giving you, you know, no, no duds, which you got to feel good about. And this week in particular, going up against the Saints, who had no answer for Christian McCaffrey. Not that really anyone has an answer for Christian McCaffrey. You can see how James White has a big performance for him. I agree. He should not be on the waiver wire in full PPR leagues. Feel free. I don't think anyone will have to, you know, use a bunch of fab to go get him. But this is like a perfect bench piece to have, particularly once the bye weeks start coming along. Uh, Dwayne, I know this next guy is another person that shouldn't be on your bench or shouldn't be on the waiver wire, I should say. I'm talking about Tony Pollard. I guess the bigger question is, like, what are our week-to-week expectations for Pollard? As much as people want the Cowboys just to sit Ezekiel Elliott on the bench and never even talk to him or give him the ball again, we know that's not going to happen. The question is, what are we going to see his weekly usage look like? Because in week one, he had seven touches. In week two, he had 16. Is this going to go up to 25 next week? Or is it going to be somewhere... little bit in the middle I lean towards the latter what are you thinking about Pollard Dwayne assuming Ezekiel Elliott is healthy here for the rest of the year
1: yeah I think it's just going to be what you said it'll be towards the latter I won't be surprised if this is this is probably Pollard's top finish of the season I mean, RB4 right now going into tonight for the week. I mean, it's not easy to, to replicate that type of um, point total on the limited usage that he got. Now, he did see an increase in rushing, you know, attempts went from 20 percent week one to 43 percent. And the Cowboys just ran the ball a lot more in this game. And, you know, it was a game where it was close pretty much the whole way. Um, they weren't trailing as much as they were against the Buccaneers. So maybe this is something they want to do a little bit more of, especially if they continue to be concerned any at all about, you know, Dak's shoulder and the number of passes they have him throwing. So it was kind of a perfect script. They wanted to run the ball more. They were allowed to run the ball more. Pollard did his part. He came through. He performed really well. But my guess is RB4 will be his ceiling for the season without an injury to Zeke. Um, But it does show you he has that potential standalone value. The week before, he was RB39. So you're going to get those weeks too. You just have to be willing to live through it if you're going to put him in your lineup. no, you're, you could get a top 10 week here or there, yeah. but most likely you're going to be down in the 30s. Um, but again, if you're if you're forced into a decision where you've got a smaller roster and it's like, OK, I want to roster someone that could blow up or. You know, at least give me flex value, you know, potentially week to week, but you can live through the ups and downs, then Pollard's really the perfect guy because we know James White's not going to blow up into an RB1. Pollard could do that. So part of it is how you constructed your team and just your mentality overall as a fantasy football player. Pollard is an ace in the hole if Zeke goes down
0: single highest handcuff potential in the league. Now, we've only seen Zeke miss one game due to injury throughout his career. The dude is a freaking workhorse. But, yeah, you could do a lot worse than someone that's at least proven it's possible for him to give you the spike week, even with a healthy Zeke. And, again, ceiling is the freaking moon if something happens to Elliott. Now, this one's going to hurt because... I love Cordero Patterson. I love this player more than anyone else. But, Dwayne, I I can't believe this happened last year, man. Everyone sees him have a good game, and they start getting behind the waiver wire fun, the madness. Maybe it's just because people have to write these articles, and they're saying, I'm going to write about five running backs a week. And so we have guys like Cordero get hyped up maybe a little bit too much. I don't know, Dwayne. Nine touches in Week 1, 12 in Week 2. The snaps were 33% each time. That's awesome. He scored two touchdowns last week. If anyone has watched this Falcons offense for two games, we should know that that's not going to be a you know, constant reality for these running backs. I don't think he's exactly blown Mike Davis out of the water. Like This isn't a takeover situation for me. Dwayne, why is the Falcons RB2, like just putting the name aside, why is the Falcons RB2 fetching so much damn interest on the waiver wire? <laughs>
1: Well, I think a lot of it is just because so many injuries, you know, to the back, to all the different backs across the league. So people are scrambling, but I mean, Patterson looks good. He's not, he's not really grading well, like as a rusher, but I mean, he's nice in the passing game. So if you're playing in a PPR league, um, you know, I think he could be someone that can help you on a week to week basis. I mean, if you look at, you know, um, you know, Patterson over just the last couple of weeks, um, you know, he's getting more work than I thought he ever would. And I mean, he's at uh, route, sorry, I look at the wrong thing, 34, 34% of the snaps, then 33% of the snaps, 26% of the rushing attempts, that was up to 35% last week. Then his routes went from 25% to 31%, target six and 15%. So yeah, like his usage is an elite, but I mean, he's in that range where he's getting about a third of the backfield. Um, so I mean, you could You could potentially use him it's going to be larger formats where you're really going to want to target patterson to your point ian like if i'm playing in a smaller league like in an 18 league or a 10-team league I'm not going to go use very much fab on Corderell Patterson. But if I'm playing in a 12- team league that has really deep benches and there's really nothing out there, there's not a James White. There's not a Tony Pollard, you know, I'd be willing to put you know somewhere like five to 10 percent of my fab onto Corderell Patterson if I'm really hurting at my RB2 spot or I have nothing behind my RB2. Um, now, it's like you said, don't expect a takeover of the backfield, but he is getting enough work. Um, that I do think it makes him worth, you know, putting a little bit of fab down on to see if you can get him. I am thinking about a few of my own teams where, you know, how
0: painful it's been to slot in A.J. Dillon or Zach Moss or one of these guys into the flex or RB2 spot after, you know, the zero RB strategy isn't exactly paying off its rewards just yet. From that perspective, okay. But I just don't, like, there's no takeover happening. If Mike Davis gets hurt, like, I don't even know that Patterson's role would necessarily change a ton. I think he probably would become the preferred guy. But yeah, this isn't like a Tony Pollard situation or even a situation like the next two guys we're going to talk about. So here's
1: the way I think about it real quick. Like, so if you just want to comp him to other backs in the league two weeks in, um, and I could go back and look at last year, but here's who he profiles. Basically the exact same as when you look at, hey, getting about a third of the the rushing workload, getting about a third of the routes, you know, in that five to 15% target range. The two comps are Kenneth Gainwell and Michael Carter. Now, Michael Carter saw his role increase this last week. Tevin Coleman was brushed to the side and it was essentially Ty Johnson and Michael Carter. So, when you think of those two names, that's a good thing to put into your head you know, as far as the way you're thinking around Patterson. He's very similar to those two players. So to Ian's point, don't get nuts. And I actually like those two players better yeah. because I think they have upside to take over their backfields as well. So if Gainwell or Carter were available, I would be I would be willing to try to get them for a little bit less than what Patterson's going for.
0: Very well said, Mr. McFarland. Now, we got another two-touchdown hero to talk about next. Zach Moss had one early on in the game, then had another after Josh Allen was ruled down just short of the goal line. This was the first game we saw each of Singletary Moss and Matt Breida active. Singletary led the way with a 66% snap rate. Moss, 28%. Matt Breida, just 3%. So, Dwayne, my thought is, like, again, I guess it's similar... If you're in deeper league and you want someone that can just give you 8 to 10 touches, that's fine. But we need to like just of conf- rehash our expectations for Zach Moss in this backfield as a whole. The play behind Zach Moss in the offseason was based on the thought that he could take over. That he could have the role that Devin Singletary essentially has that he's close to having right now. The role that Singletary had in week one was the role we're hoping for Moss to have. As long as all three of these guys are active, I just think it's going to be pretty hit or miss. We're going to continue to see one back probably flirt with RB3 value more weeks than not, but trying to guess who it is on a week-to-week basis is going to be difficult. So I'm thankful Moss isn't like on the bench every week. All my best ball teams are thankful, I can tell you that much. But in terms of someone I'm actively trying to go after and redraft, he's fine if he had an injury and you need to get a couple touches. Here, guaranteed. Again, they'll just keep expectations and check. I think it's, we're going to be hard pressed to rank Moss higher than like a low end RB3 at the most, more weeks than not.
1: Yeah, I mean, 28% of the snaps, like you said, 29% of the rushing attempts, 19% of the routes, that's terrible. Um, managed to get target on 7% of those. I mean, so you could say that's nice. It, mainly, uh, this is what Zach Moss says. He's going to carry the work and, you know, he's going to handle the short down and distance. So that's second, third and fourth down with one or two yards to go. It's going to handle a lot of the work inside the five, but he's also going to have to share that with Josh Allen. Josh Allen doesn't have a rushing attempt yet this year inside the five. He's going to have some. So there's only really one on the team this year. And Zach Moss has it. He had it yesterday and he scored a touchdown and I could see them trying to protect Allen a little bit late in games, not get him banged up if they're winning, which is Zach Moss when he scored that shorter touchdown, that was later in the game. So that could be his role. Um, But I just don't, I'm with you. I don't see putting a lot on Moss. I do think there's still a potential path that he could eventually take over Singletary, but Singletary is probably going to have to do something to hurt himself because he's looked pretty good so far. So I think the way they see it right now is, you know, Singletary is the lead back because they want to throw all the time and he's their passing downs back. When they decide they do need, you know, some short yarders they want to pick up, they're going to let Moss come in. But other than that, he's not even really spelling Singletary that often. So Moss is a player that, like you said, You're never going to want to really put him in your lineup unless you're just like unless you you know write us and tell us you're in a 32 team league. Okay, fine. Then he may you know get into your lineup, but in most typical formats, Zach Moss is going to make you pretty queasy if you've got to stick him in your lineup. So I like to think of him and approach him more as a stash type play versus someone that can really get me out of a jam heading into uh, to next week.
0: So it's a little difficult to necessarily rank these guys, because I know it depends on your roster. depends on how comfortable you are with, you know, stashing someone, chasing upside, yada, yada, yada. With that said, though, Dwayne, just generally with White, Pollard, Patterson, Moss, I'm kind of thinking for full PPR – White should be prioritized
1: the most over Pollard by far. Yeah, y- yeah, I think so. If if you're if, and again, this does come down to your team. Like if you told Ian and I, you know, I've got three running backs I love. And Pollard's on the wire and White's on the wire. I would pick up Tony Pollard. Yeah, that's <laughs> You know? Yeah. Um, but if you told me you have one running back you like and everything else is, sitting, is upside and you're waiting on something to hit, then give me James White and let me plug him into my RB2 right now. Okay? That's the way that I would approach it. Um, if I could find a way to get them both, I would. But as far as like a, the way I would rank these in a fab percentage... Um, now again you know your league, you know how much, you know, uh, your your typical league mates put on fab and how closely they pay attention to this stuff. But you know in like medium-sized format leagues, so like 10 team leagues, you know, a lot of you folks are in 10 team leagues. <clears throat> I would say in PPR, James White, if I was in that situation I just talked about, I'd be willing to put 20 to 25% of my fab on him just to lock down my RB2. I mean, I would be willing to get that done. Um, I would be willing to put 20 to 25% on Pollard if I was in the other scenario we talked about. So again, it comes down to your construction, but I think both of those players are fine in that range. If your league never bids that much, then don't. Then you bid less. But you also know in some leagues it's way more aggressive than that. So I know, I trust you guys to be able to, you know, adjust your frequent, you know, adjust, you know, the intensity, right. That you think you need to put on your fab, but that's about where I would put them. Whereas Patterson and Moss would be more in that five to 10% range, you know, and for Moss, probably closer to five Patterson, maybe six, 7%. And again, it's like, if I just need something to go in, but I I do think Moss carries more long-term upside potential. If the other back on his team got hurt, I agree with you, Ian, that if, if, If Mike Davis went down, I don't think Patterson takes over the full role. I think we would see Wayne Gallman come in and probably take over a lot of what Mike Davis leaves behind and see Patterson's role expand some. Agree with all those points. And I wanted to try to get that clarity
0: there before we talk about the next guy. So this podcast, (laughs) again, will be released Tuesday morning. I'm guessing because L.A. always has their freaking news coming out late because they're West Coasters and all that. We we'll might get some, you know, big news that makes this conversation a little bit irrelevant. But Sony Michelle is the guy that's going to be on the top of a lot of waiver wire columns because Daryl Henderson left last game with a rib injury. We don't know how severe it was. Did, was he just, you know, bruised up a little bit? Sony was running well, and Henderson could be back the guy next week. Is he going to miss, you know, multiple weeks? We don't know right now. But with that said, Dwayne Sony came in at the end, ten carries, forty-six yards. He looked good doing so, man. And I'm not saying Henderson didn't look good with the ball, but if Henderson is out, I'm confident that it's not going to be this 50-50 thing between Funk and Sony Michelle necessarily. But I think Sony could more or less just take the same role Henderson had. Now I want to hear some of your utilization stuff because it's not a guarantee Sony gets that pass down work. But man, Sony Michelle, if we hear that Henderson is out, if he is missing weeks, Sony needs to rise to the top of this list. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I for every week that Henderson misses Sony is a potential RB1 yeah. in my opinion. So he handled 89 so once, you know, Henderson was gone from the game. So Henderson suffered a rib injury on the 7th drive. So if you look at drives 8, 9, 10 and 11 I believe, it may have just been three drives, but over those final three or four drives, Michelle handled 89% of the snaps, 100% of the rushing attempts, and he and he gobbled up all of the long down and distance Uh, long down and distance work so we again we don't know the severity of the henderson rib injury you've covered all that but again it's it's just a situation where rb1 potential every week that henderson's out and the other thing i like about this is it opens the door now for michelle so even if it's a situation where you go grab michelle and he only gives you one week and then henderson's back if michelle looks good this next week He's going to lock up some of this role, right? I mean, Henderson is a player that's been hurt multiple times. I mean, think, Henderson hurt his hand when they brought in Michelle. Well, now we've got Henderson hurt again. So Henderson, if you guys watch him play, and Ian, you can speak to this better than me, I'm sure. He he, When he comes through the line of scrimmage, it's at a high velocity. And yeah. he's not a super big guy. Like, he takes some really big hits. He, he's basically hitting the line. Like, Tez Seth did some research on this. Using some next gen stuff and some different things, he's hitting the line of scrimmage as fast as Derrick Henry. He weighs like a third of Derrick Henry. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you got those linebackers coming downhill, when you got those hard hits guys coming at you with that crazed look in their eye and they're just thumping you, um, you know, I it's. I think it can be problematic. I don't have data to back this up and say, "Hey, guys that go through the line of scrimmage at that velocity are going to be more injury prone if they're lighter." It makes sense to me in my head, though, and because I, I love how aggressive Henderson runs, but I think it is an issue that we've seen from him for two for two years in a row now, and it makes him a very explosive player. He takes away a lot of angles from safeties and other player and other defenders because he does hit the hole so quickly and fast. But when he gets hit, it's it's usually pretty violent.
0: Well, and I mean, even if Clearly, his head coach agrees with you to some extent for McVay to come out and say in the past that he likes Henderson. He doesn't like how Henderson can't stay healthy. So for me, like, yeah, Sony could have overall, not overall, but he could have RB1 upside, you know, if Henderson's going to be missing time. Even if Henderson comes back, though, if they're just happy with what Sony brought to the table, I could see McVay making this more of a 1A, 1B type situation compared to what we saw earlier in the year. So and for those of you out there just saying Sony's dust, I'm not going to touch him. Two points. Last year, he looked much better than he did in 2019 before the injury. And like, more importantly, who cares what we think? It's what Sean McVay thinks. Like, was everyone just lining up after C.J. Anderson got signed at the end of 2018, saying like, this is the running back that we needed to put in this system? You know, who cares? He got cut by the Panthers and the Broncos in the past 12 months, but this is the guy that's really going to take advantage of McVay's scheme. No, chill out. Go get Sony Michelle. We often know. Quite a bit less than I think we think we do uh, with these coaches and their
1: opinions on these sorts of
0: players. Now, wide
1: receiver, just real quick on yeah. that one, just so folks know, like, because um, I know we get these sort of questions, but the way I would handle um, Sony twelve team leagues with deep benches. So, say you're in a league that has 20 players, you know, on a roster. Um, I think you're going to have to at least get the 30% to have a shot at Sony. You know, in my article, I'm putting 20 to 30%, you know, with you making adjustments on your own in a typical 12 team league that maybe just has 15 spots on the roster. And maybe, you know, one, you know, two, there's a kicker and a defense included in that, um, you know, 15 to 20% probably gets it done. 10 team leagues, probably 10 to 15%. And in an 18 league, we're talking, you know, around 5% is probably what it takes. To get. Don't, don't get nuts with it. But again, you know, your roster, and just keep in mind the upside. Yes, there's downside. Daryl Henderson can be back this week, and you could never, and you don't even get to use Sony this weekend. That's in the range of outcomes. So you got to look at your roster and know what you're okay with, and how the, and how you've built it. But those would be the bands that I would use.
0: And Dwayne, you, know, you, you have a million FFPC teams. I know you're spending hours on the waiver wire every freaking Tuesday, Wednesday night. Typically, if you want a player, and let's say your recommended fab is 30%, shouldn't you kind of be putting 33, 34 there just to try to avoid the other people that have seen that 30% mark and are just going to always try yes. to end it with a zero?
1: Yeah, know your know your league mates, know your format. Um, Yeah. I mean, I never do it right at these. These are just meant to be guidelines. Um, So, you know, you can use some number in the range or you can be slightly over, um, you know, or you can look at this and also say, you know what, like looking at my situation, I absolutely, if you feel you absolutely have to have a player, then you also know basically what you need to be over. Now, weird things happen, man. Like last week we had Mostert go down. You had Sermon basically be a nothing. So everybody wanted to replace those two players. You have all these uh, teams that built zero RB or anchor RB that were needing backs. I mean, and Elijah Mitchell went for 90% of people's fab. And I recommended in this column, you know, that 25 to 50%, you know, was the minimum it was probably going to take depending on your league. So sometimes there are these crazy tsunami type, you know, perfect storm situations that, You got to really think through. I don't think that'll be the case with this one, but you have to under, again, it just goes back to understanding your league and knowing your league mates. So like when I look back now, I know why he went for so much and I feel good about my process that I used. but I should have made the bid amount even higher, um, you know, on Elijah Mitchell last week, thinking through all those things. But I think this is about right for Michelle.
0: I like it. And yeah, I was using that 50% guideline to go after him in my main home league. And as I put the $50 in there, I was just like, hold on, I want to really make sure I get him. I was on a team with Sermon and I said, you know what, let's not go 50, let's go 53. Managed to beat out uh, my good buddy, Keith, who went 51. So, ha, Keith, got your ass, Uh, everyone else should go do that in their leagues at home as well. Moving on to wide receiver. So wanna do a quick go get this guy and then we have five guys that I think will be in a lot of waiver columns that we can go through buy or sell. But Sterling Shepherd people, like this is a guy that can I think supply weekly upside or wide receiver. Three value at worst, but it might be getting to the point where we got to start looking long and hard at our top 24, particularly in full point per reception format. So this season, Sterling Shepard, wide receiver nine and wide receiver 20 finishes. Uh, shout out to ESPN's Mike Clay for originally turning me on to this stat, but Sterling Shepard has at least six targets in all but one non injured game since week 11, 2018. Like every time he's out there, they feed this dude pretty much regardless of who has been, you know, under center, alongside him out wide. Sterling Shepard is a PPR darling. And at least through a couple of weeks, man, it's Sterling Shepard with 19 targets. Kenny Galladay with 14. Darius Slayton with 13. Kyle Rudolph, seven. Saquon, six. So with Shepard, like, I don't think those that target share is going anywhere. If anything, we're going to see some of Slayton's targets go towards Galladay. Shepard is the one a little bit more, uh, you know, I think consistent from the friendly confines of the slot and more and more, it's like just Slayton versus Galladay for me. So we did get some news come out in the last uh, 20 minutes where Kenny Galladay clarified that his yelling was directed at Jason Garrett, not Daniel Jones, but he said he and Garrett spoke <laughs> after the game and they were fine. So maybe a squeaky wheel situation. I don't know. But again, I think it's more Galladay versus Slayton than anything to do with Shepard. So do any with me We're like, I-, I just think now like we need to draw a line at wide receiver 30 at the lowest and just say, I need to find a way to get Shepherd inside this.
1: I mean, he's been 9 and 20. He's 9 on the season. So, yeah, I don't... Yeah. You know, (laughs) I mean, he's being starting lineups. He's 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 locked in as a wide receiver three, Um, and he's shown that he can give you upside from there. And you probably don't have a lot of downside. Um, I do expect the other guys to get involved a little bit more. I do expect Galladay to start to get more as well. But I think there's enough room for two of these players, you know, to eat in the offense. I don't expect Slayton to be enough of something to really take away from what Galladay and Shepard could do. The guy I would worry about a little bit more when he returns would be Evan Ingram. Um, but I don't know how close we are to that. So I think things get a little bit more distributed if that were to occur. I mean, we know Kadarius Tony, like he isn't doing anything guy, you know, I mean, I think he can barely make it to a meeting. So I don't think he, I don't think he even knows like what a hook route or a slant or any of those things are. So I don't think he's really a threat, but I think Shepard, um, you know, it's gotta be in the top two of the pecking order, you know, for the rest of the season, we could see it get a little bit more spread out, but yeah, he, He shouldn't be on wires, first of all, like Nathan Yonke, like Nathan Yonke only says like four words at Pro Football Focus and it's Austin Eckler. Those are two of his words and his other two words are Sterling Shepard. So if you guys listen to Nathan Yonke, you already gobbled up Sterling Shepard last week and you're like, why are you guys telling me about this? Nathan already had me covered.
0: That's good. I hope most people's reaction are like, I already have Shepard. Thanks for wasting my time, Ian and Jordan. So <laughs> hopefully that's it. And again, that's why I put that, you know, 50% qualifier to start. Before I move on, though, I just wanted to say, I like, guess has been my favorite uh, Roto World blurb of the season, courtesy of at Roto Pat, Patrick Daughtery, who is uh, as hilarious in real life as he is on Twitter. But Pat ended his Sterling Shepherd uh, blurb in week two with the following. Shepard continuing to lead the Giants in targets, nevertheless, makes too much sense. He is the perfect conservative option for a conservative quarterback, taking place from a conservative offensive coordinator, working for a conservative coach, employed by a conservative general manager, cashing checks from a conservative owner. Bravo, Rotopat, blurb of the year candidate <laughs> already. Now, Duran, we'll go through some buy or sell guys. Again, you know, if you have recommended fab stuff for these guys, great. But these are the guys that I think are going to be popping up in a lot more waiver wire articles. So we'll kind of rank. Like where we think they should be going, not necessarily, guys. You need 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 to get, but hey, maybe we'll find out as we go through it. And first up is Elijah Moore. You know, we're not doubting his talent, but at the same time, Dwayne, we were talking about this on the recap pod, it's not great seeing this usage. I mean, we have more, we have Corey Davis, Braxton Berrios is getting seven catches for no reason, Jeff Smith. Is out there catching the best throw from Zach Wilson all game. Keelan Cole was there, and Jamison Crowder is going to be back soon. Hey, maybe Denzel Mims finds a way out of the doghouse. So even if Elijah Moore is the most talented receiver in New York, which I don't know if that's a guarantee. Corey Davis, very good in his own right. Is there enough rhyme and reason to this pecking order to really go through with it? Particularly after some of Zach Wilson's uh, struggles. So. Thoughts on Elijah Moore, and if you're starting to wonder if maybe there's a little too much preseason hype, or are we just in the calm before the storm, and let's get to it.
1: Man, it's just mostly about the team. Like, I love the utilization, you know, 85% and 81% of the routes, you know, for a guy that we like his talent, Um, 12% of the targets and that jumped to 26% this last week. Targets per route jumped from 10% to 23%. So I think there's going to be a situation where there's an odd player out every single week. We won't know if it's more. We won't know if it's Davis or whoever's playing in the slot. Um, and it's in an offense. that's not very good. So he's not a player that you really want to have in your starting lineups, but I absolutely still want more as a stash play. And, and, and hopefully their offensive line will start to get, you know, healthier, you know, Becton's probably out another three to four games. They really need him back. He had a dislocated kneecap after week one, sounds very painful, uh, get well soon. And, um, from, from more standpoint, I mean, if you're in a deeper format, I mean, obviously you're just not letting him go. If you're in an eight team league, you could probably let Elijah Moore go and gobble him back up, right, if he starts to go again. Um, so it, it just depends on the format. But if the deeper the format, the more likely it is. Like in my FFPC stuff, there's no way I'm never dropping Elijah Moore. I'll, he can die on my roster. Don't take that the wrong way. But I'm not letting anyone else have him is all I'm saying, people. So don't come back and at me with, oh, my God, Dwayne, you uh, can't say things like that on a podcast. You're right. I shouldn't have said it there. Oh, you're good, brother. And Elijah, <laughs> man, I guess like for me, like,
0: again – we don't have unlimited bench spots. So for Elijah, do we take someone like him that has the chance for better best case optimization? Or do we take someone like Rondale Moore, who is out here averaging the second most yards per route run in the NFL, but unfortunately still kind of looking like his own offense's number four wide receiver, at least in terms of total usage. So overall thoughts on Rondale and then straight up Elijah Moore or Rondale Moore.
1: Yeah. So Rondell uh, routes jumped from thirty-eight percent to fifty-seven percent. Targets jumped from seventeen percent to twenty-four percent. So this, you know, the thing you can tell yourself with Rondell Moore is, okay, maybe his role growing. We. Two data points don't necessarily make a trend, but it's all we have right now. And we know how, you know how this goes. You're forced into making these kind of decisions early in the year. You can't just sit back and wait because your league, it only takes one person in your league and they're going to make the decision for you. So you've got to determine, is that enough in your mind to really mean that you think his role is going to continue to expand? And if you think the answer to that is yes, if Rondell Moore could somehow get to 65%, 70% of the routes in an offense that I could say is 1,000% better than the Jets, <laughs> then you would probably lead, lean to Rondell Moore. However, if you think that Rondell Moore probably is capped out around 60% of the routes, then I would still lean to Elijah Moore because I just want the player that I still think is explosive that could. And I think it's an offense that can only go up from where it was this last weekend. And I don't want to overweight, right? How bad you know, a rookie quarterback looked against the Patriots because we've seen that kind of thing before. So I'm trying to not let that data point, like completely scare me off of Elijah Moore. So that's, I think it comes down to how do you answer that question? My belief in, and I don't know what your thought is, but look, Christian Kirk has the slot spot locked up. Like he took almost all of his routes from the slot again. So the main way Rondell Moore is getting on the field is he rotates in for Kirk or for AJ Green a little but when they use more 10 personnel, that opens the door to get him out there more. So I think this is a number that while we saw it increase, and I am excited about it, and I do think he's a player, it's enough for me to say, hey, he should be on a lot of rosters. He should really shouldn't be free except like in 18 leagues. Otherwise, you know, he should probably be rostered most of the time. He's, he's, he's too under-owned, or sorry, under-rostered. And... In that situation, you want to have him on a roster, but I still don't feel super comfortable, Ian, getting him in a lineup. I think that it's going to be more of an up and down as far as how those routes look over time.
0: Yes, with more my exact notes I had written down, where is the featured role coming from? They love A.J. Green. Obviously, Hopkins is staying. Kirk has played well. Rondale had the long touchdown. That was a rare occurrence where we should kind of look at it skeptically, though. Like You're not going to see giant... Broken coverage plays like that all that often, so he is getting fed some design touches. I mean, it was great to see before halftime when they needed some chunk gains. They were just like, let's get the ball to Rondale Short, let him work his magic. But yeah, in terms of overall season upside, like if we're just looking at it from a target perspective, from similar talents, I do think Elijah might have the moon a little bit more in his sights. Now, a couple teammate duos: Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley. Dwayne, don't look now. I'm not. Si- I'm not. We're not doing the panic alarms just yet. Josh Allen not playing very well through a couple weeks, and we even had you know some haters, you might say, from PFF put together some uh, stats. And yes, I'm talking about PFF Steve, and a little bit damning here, Dwayne. In 2018, Josh Allen's passing grade was 58. In 2019, it was 61.4. In 2020, it was 87.9. Do two games in 2021, 59.3. We are seeing Josh Allen look much more like the guy we saw the first two years in the league as opposed to 2020. Now, with Josh running around the way he does, like, he's fine as a fantasy asset, obviously. Stephon Diggs is fine. Are we positive that there's a number two wide receiver in this offense to be had, though, Dwayne? Because Manny Sanders, Beasley, even Gabriel Davis, they're all, I think, great players, I think, describes them all. The problem is, if they're not getting dominant targets and if they're not getting a dominant QB are they worth really going after?
1: Yeah, I think that's the big question. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at where we are so far through two games and thinking that Allen's still going to end up being fine. You know, I I, I could be wrong, but that's the way that I'm approaching it. And when I look at the team, I mean, they're, they're running a ton of plays. They throw the ball a lot. So they do all the things I really want. We just need Allen to take a step forward. So at this point early in the season, and in five weeks from now, we could think differently. If we—if this is all we've seen, at some point, you just have to be like, okay, well, Allen's fine, like you said, Diggs is fine, but we don't really need to bother with these other players. But right now, all the ingredients are there. Obviously, Allen's a huge part, right, of getting that recipe right. But everything else looks right to me, you know? So we just need to see Allen play a little better. And if he can, that's going to open up some more um, opportunity for these other players. I mean, if you look at it right now, like Emmanuel Sanders... He's been out there for 94 and 86% of the routes. Uh, Beasley, 98% and 76%, so 90% on the season. Um, I mean, these players are going to have plenty of nice weeks, you know, wide receiver three type weeks, as long as Allen can get back in form. So I like these type of players, Ian, because I can get them for nothing and I don't even have to start them. (laughs) You know, like I could just pick them up for like the absolute minimum amount of fab allocation, set them there, and then all of a sudden, if next, because nobody's going to want them this week. And next week, if Allen goes off, they'll be the players everyone is going nuts about, and you'll already have them. And it's really simple. You're just watching for one thing. You just want to see, does Josh Allen look better? And it makes your decision really easy in a couple of weeks from now, whether you just let him go or you let him hang around, because all you need is for Allen to be playing well because everything else is in place.
0: Yeah, and looking at the schedule, starting off with the Steelers was tough. The Dolphins probably had the single best pair of outside cornerbacks in the league in Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. Coming forward, though, we got a Washington football team defense that hasn't looked as dominant as last year. The Houston Texans likely shoot out against the Chiefs and then the Titans before the bye. This could certainly look like a silly conversation to be worried about uh, here in you know a few weeks by the time November and October roll around. Another pair of teammates, Brian Evers, Henry Ruggs. Ruggs finally got more than five targets in a game. Instantly goes five catches, 113 yards in the score. Brian Evers had another okay week and actually had a touchdown nullified. Just the touchdown gods will not let Brian Evers score. It seems like you'd like to think he'll get there eventually. Dwayne, who do you lean towards out of this crew? Because we have Derek Carr's two wide receivers. We know Darren Waller's number one pass game option. But clearly, Carr, if he's going to keep throwing for 300 yards into perpetuity, there's going to be more than one relevant pass game option more weeks than not. I'm kind of leaning towards Ruggs because, hey, if we're getting one or two of these deep shots per game, that to me is a little more valuable than Edwards hopefully finding the end zone because I think Ruggs has similar kind of upside with that. But I want to get your thoughts here because we have two receivers seemingly interchangeable during the course of any given week in terms of who's going to be featured ahead of the other. I think it comes down to who do you think has more upside?
1: Yeah, I, I slightly lean to Edwards, but it's really close. I mean, Edwards was out there eighty six percent of the routes this last week, seventy six percent for Rugs. So Edwards is has led in routes both weeks versus Rugs. So I think both players, to your point, carry some upside. They both have you know they both profiled you know in their own way you know as being talented. I mean, even if you don't like Rugs, they do have a first round pick put you know, they have a first round draft capital in him and they're going to want to see what he can do. So, I mean, he's insulated in that way. Um, So I think they're both fine. I prefer Brian Edwards a little bit more, um, you know, just based on the research that I've done on the two players, but Ruggs, Ruggs should be rostered, you know, in most leagues. Um, You know, he's probably, he's going to be available in in your eight, in your 18 leagues and your shallow 10 team leagues. But once you get past that, like he should probably be on the bench somewhere.
0: Ranking these guys real quick, I think we agreed that pure upside, we're looking for Elijah Moore over Rondale. After that, do you want the Bills receivers over the
1: Raiders receivers? This one comes down to roster construction for for me as well. I think that Brian Edwards carries... You know, and, and rugs potentially carry better upside, right, than the two Bills receivers. But the two Bills receivers are—it's kind of like back to the James White versus a, little bit Tony of a higher Carter floor
0: thing. for the Bills guys. Yeah.
1: Yes, I think they have a little bit of a higher floor, and that's not to say they don't have any upside because if 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 Josh Allen gets going. You know, and you have the 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 offense that passes more than any other in the league, and you get to be one of the top three targets on it. You're going to have some big weeks. You know, we saw it with John Brown last year when he was healthy; he could have those weeks. We saw it with Cole Beasley last year where he was. You know, he had weeks where he was in the top six. You know, receivers. So it's not to say they can't have any upside. Um, but if I look at one of the when I look at the Raiders, it's like, hey, could one of these guys potentially turn into you know behind Darren Waller? Like really the other guy that Carr trusts like all the time, you know, now they're going to throw the ball a little bit less than what the bills are. So maybe I'm thinking about it wrong, but that's the way that I would process the information as far as what I think I need to do with my roster.
0: Last point I want to make at wide receiver KJ Osborne has now had you know basically gone from a guy that I barely even knew to start the season and now he's had back to back a pretty great week so six would just note you know he had that sixty four yard touchdown to start uh, you know week two off that was right there with Rondale Moore's touchdown was just complete blown coverage so I'm not necessarily ding him for it good job you caught the passing on the end zone I'm also not you know throwing him up the ranks and saying wow this Osborne guy really has what it takes. I don't know, man. D.D. Westbrook could be more involved. This is still an offense expected to go through Jefferson and Thielen. We haven't seen one of these Kirk Cousins, you know, 15 pass attempt games yet. K.J. Osborne isn't someone we need to be concerned with, right?
1: No, not yet. I liked him in DFS yesterday when I had to pivot off of Dak when nothing in my early slate hit. So I just went all contrarian in the second half, and I went Kirk Cousins, Osborne, and, um, you know, J.J., and then I had some Thielen team. So I was, I was nice. Like, out of the gate, I was like, oh, there's a double up. <laughs> I'll take it. But, yeah, I don't I don't think it's something. And, and here's the other thing. Um, like, look, this team is having to run more 11 personnel because the game scripts have been different. And then number two, like, they just don't have the guys to play 12 personnel anymore. I mean, whenever you've got, you know, Chris Hernan and Tyler Conklin, you're just not going to run 12 as much as you did with Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. So I do think there's going to be more routes in play for Osborne. Like you said, we'll see what happens with some of the other guys as they work their way back into the lineup. Um, But Osborne is a player right now that's just tough to get into, uh, you know, into starting lineups in this particular offense because we also know they're willing to just go super conservative. Like we talked about it last night on the pod, you know, Kirk Cousins, like out of the gate, had like 120 yards and three touchdowns. Then you looked up two quarters later, he had 119 yards and three (laughs) touchdowns. Like somehow he had like a yard less, you know, than what he had like two quarters before. So it's not necessarily a team that wants to keep the foot on the accelerator. Um, I I just think in the passing game, the passing tree is really two players on this team. I don't really want to own the third.
0: Quickly, people, we will go through the tight ends. Like if you're expecting to find just a no-doubt tight end one on the waiver wire, like he must be new to this game. With that said, I know sometimes people need a prayer. I identified a couple guys I think could help you out. We got Tyler Conklin versus Seahawks. I think you're hoping he scores on one of his four targets. We got Austin Hooper versus the Bears. Hey, right now, Beckham might be back. Reports are indicating that he's getting closer. Jarvis Landry has a knee injury, you know they're going to get some tight they're going to get their tight ends involved whether it's going to be hooper brian or, or njoku scoring a touchdown as anyone's guess but i do think hooper uh, is someone that kind of gives you weekly upside tight end to uh type value and then we also got jared cook versus the chiefs if you're into that kind of thing i did crack up uh, we were doing a rehearsal for the uh sunday morning nfl show and pff eric eric eager called jared cook the most overrated tight end of the past 12 years like i didn't really think of jerry cook like that personally but you do you eric uh go ahead and slander cook uh screw it so any of these guys or another streamer out there Dwayne? you know uh, just what's your freaking are, are they
1: a daisy to you isn't that your isn't that your stick <laughs> you're a daisy if you do uh i mean look it is what it is it's like you said these are streaming options I thought Cook um, was, you know, he looks decent against Dallas, um, but he always looks decent against Dallas. That's true. Um, so a couple names just to keep an eye on. Jack Doyle got up to 84% of the routes yesterday, so he looks to really just kind of be the guy taking over for the Colts. Not that you really want to own many pieces from the Colts, but he was targeted 22% of the time. He had Gerald Everett really separate himself from Will Disley yesterday, 82% of the routes. Only targeted one time, 3%, but if you have the potential to be the third option um, for Seahawks offense, it's looking pretty good. um, I like that 80% mark. So Gerald Cook, uh, Gerald Everett, sorry, and Jack (laughs) Doyle would be two other names that I would throw out there. And I kind of like them because if their roles continue to look like they did this last week and they can be up over that 80% mark, um, they could be players that you can continue to utilize going forward, maybe a little more than some of these other names who we know just are not out there enough from a route perspective to consistently lean on. Definitely, Gerald
0: Everett. Over all those guys, he was someone I saw with like more of a sixty-something percent um, r- rostership. So definitely with you on that. With Doyle, hey, maybe. Keep an eye on Carson Wentz having two ankle injuries to deal with. Uh, I do think that Colts passing game more often than not, the answer is just no. Just some quick news that came across. Uh, 49ers running back, Jermichael Hasty suffered the dreaded high ankle sprain in Sunday's game. So I know he came in a little bit during Elijah Mitchell, uh, so, you know, just being sidelined for about half a quarter. But no, Jermichael Hasty not someone that needs a bench spot, not someone you should be picking up. But people, the Great news is that week 2 of football is in the books and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week 3 with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week 3 game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet in any football game. Promo code PFF this weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers, only minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And also, a special shout-out to our sponsors at Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. So team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Hope you guys enjoyed our new look. Waiver Wire Pod will be back with this every single Tuesday throughout the football season. And I think another treat people can get on Tuesday is Dwayne's utilization report. Hopefully we'll be up there in the morning. If Dwayne really has to grind through it, maybe a little closer to the afternoon. But Dwayne, let the people know what they can find in one of the best pieces of content in the fantasy football industry.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. So I, I break down every team, some of the stuff you guys have heard me talk about here by all the positions on each team. So I look at actually the team overall, like what does their pace look like? Um, how often do they pass versus how much do they run? What does that look like when you change up game scripts, all sorts of stuff that hopefully you can use as you look at the next week and you're like, it's it's there to help you with waivers, but it's also there to help you whenever you're looking at something, you're like, oh, this team's a 10 point dog. How much more do they typically throw in a trailing script versus a leading or a close script? Like that's what it's really meant to do is help give you those sort of things. But then I also break down quarterbacks, which I've never done in the utilization report in the past so that's a new feature this year and then I break down the running backs as well as the wide receivers and tight ends and I get into all sorts of cool stuff just to help you really understand not only who's getting the most work now but what are the potential trends we need to be looking at to help us think more preemptively about players that we could be adding on the cheap today via waiver wire or cheap via DFS before they blow up right and those prices increase
0: great stuff as always, from Mr. McFarlane. You can check out my Tuesday piece, which is always a look ahead of the QB superlatives, the defining storylines that I believe will come from each quarterback's uh, upcoming matchup. You know, as someone that gets a lot of grief when my cool little helicopters go crashing down every single week, you know, it's it's funny when you hang your hat on one or two guys. But guess what, people? I'm actually making predictions on pretty much every single player in the league uh, throughout the week. I was happy about my Baker Mayfield call last week. I said he was the most likely to make the most out of 20 passes. Attempts. He ended up going 19 for 21 for 213 yards in the score. I didn't announce it in a helicopter, so no one gives a shit, and I get that. But maybe you, maybe you out there, can go in on uh, Tuesday, get a nice preview of the week. This is not, you know, a 10,000 word manifesto or anything. Just nice, quick tidbits, and I think you will learn a cool thing or two about different quarterbacks around the league. So, utilization report, quarterbacks' superlatives. Great day to be great, as always. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.